Continuing then, uh, Paul's uh, teaching in Romans chapter 6, being dead to sin, what exactly is that? And Paul now says, as I pointed out last time, uh, verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Well, you know, I was brought up as a young Christian on the King James Version, because that was the main translation at the time. And uh, this translation said something like this, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and uh, that we should no longer live uh, as slaves to sin. Well, that word destroyed uh, greatly disturbed me. I didn't read a lot of Romans, mind you, at the time, but when I came across it, I thought, well, goodness, has my sinful nature, my old man, been destroyed? No, I feel it quite a lot. And you may feel the same thing. Uh, This uh, verse may throw you a little bit because of that word destroyed. But you have to understand the whole larger uh, perspective that Paul is talking from. Remember, we've talked about kingdoms, that God is teaching us here through his Holy Spirit, through Paul as well, that we have two kingdoms we are living in, the kingdom of Adam, and uh, which is the kingdom of sin and death in which our broken human nature lives, and we live in the ordinary daily routine of life. And then there is the kingdom of Christ, which is counted to us at the moment, reckoned as ours, brought forward in Jesus. Jesus said the kingdom of God is arrived when he was on earth. Well, where is it? Well, it was where he was because he was the king of that kingdom. It's the kingdom of grace right now, but will become and be the full kingdom of glory when Christ uh, returns. So these are the large contexts in which we uh, think of these things. So our old man is our human nature belonging to the kingdom of Adam, and it was crucified with him. Well, not literally, of course, because we weren't there at the cross and we were not nailed to it. But it was crucified with him in the sense that Christ is our substitute And his death on the cross was on behalf of all humanity, so that when Christ was crucified, it was as if all humanity was crucified by proxy in him. So knowing this, that our natural humanity, our old humanity, was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, well, that word destroyed is really, as I pointed out last time, rendered powerless or done away with. Uh, You will find, uh, if you look it up uh, uh, in the concordances, not concordances, but commentaries, uh, that this word is used that way uh, a great deal throughout the, uh, the New Testament. So we believe that our human nature has been treated as if it were crucified and already executed, condemned to death and finished, in the person of Christ, and that has the effect of rendering it powerless. How does that happen? How is it that uh, the belief that we died on the cross with Christ by proxy renders our human nature powerless? Well, our human nature, made up of lots of distorted desires, for instance, is ruined, or rather, well, I can say ruined and influenced 
strongly by the f- the knowledge of guilt and shame and fear. Remember, we came under Adam's fall and under Adam's sin, and therefore we are filled with guilt and shame and fear, just as Adam was. We live with Adam's sin as well as our own, and it causes us to feel guilty, which causes us to feel shame by which we hide from God, and then we feel afraid of his judgment. Now, guilt and shame and and fear pervades all human minds, even though many are in denial of it, most actually, But it's there, deep down within us, and it affects all we do. And when we are aware of sin or aware of temptation and are yielding to it, the power of that temptation is not the thing that we are tempted by, but the guilt and the shame and the fear that we feel in being tempted by it. So the power of guilt and shame and fear are really at the back of sin. They stimulate us. Why is that? Because when we feel guilt and shame and fear, we close our minds to God. We block him. We shut him out. And when you shut God out, you've actually shut down your own human nature because you were made in the image of God. And to block God is to block your sense of self. And what's left? Well, the darkness of sin, the caves of temptation and lust. And that's the only comfort we have left because we've blocked God out, who is the one and only true comfort. And so having blocked God out, we're more inclined to sin because that's the only comfort left. So you see then... The body of sin is rendered powerless because we now believe there is no more guilt or shame or fear attached to our body of sin, our natural human nature, because Jesus took it at the cross. And so you can lift up your heart to God uh, while tempted or while depressed, or angry, or frustrated, or lonely. Or, and you can say, Father in heaven, even though I'm, I feel guilt and shame and fear lingering about, I praise you that I am not separated from you by that, because my guilt and shame and fear belongs to my body of sin, my old man, and that body of sin and old man was crucified with Christ, so that I can disregard the guilt and shame and fear. It has no power to take me away from you. And the very fact, of course, that you're talking to God demonstrates that, because if you really felt the guilt and shame and power, uh, fear, and believed it had validity, you wouldn't be talking to God at all. You'd just be hiding yourself in the psychological pillow of life. But in fact, you've said in your heart, Father, thank you that I am dead to my guilt and shame and fear because my old man has been crucified that the body of sin might be rendered powerless or slowly done away, do you see? Now, this doesn't stay permanent. We, every, we need to exercise our faith every day to affirm these things. But the more we do, the more the habit sticks, the more the faith habit sticks, and the more effective uh, we become as men and women of God who are serving him 
and less and less blocked by our sinful human nature. And so then Paul says, For he who has died to sin, or rather he who has died, has been freed from sin. Now this is a really scary verse for many people. As a perf- If you are a perfectionist, if you are a legalist, there's no way you can feel comfortable with this verse. You would prefer not to take note of it. Why? Well, because you take it as meaning in your perfectionism and legalism that your human na- that your hu- that you have died to all your desires you have no more desires no more interest in sin no more temptation and you know you cannot possibly believe that and therefore you avoid this verse a hum- a perfectionist and a legalist will never say he's free from sin because he's always trying to get there but never getting there But the man or woman who believes the gospel can affirm that he or she is freed from sin. In what sense, then? Freed from the condemnation, the identity, the guilt and shame of it, the execution of it. Because, you see, our human nature, our old man, was crucified, counted as if it were on the cross with Christ. And therefore, I can say I'm freed from sin, not in the fanatical, legalistic, or perfectionistic way of uh, no longer having a body of sin, some what used to be called a hundred or fifty, hundred and fifty years ago, holy flesh, not in the sense that those people believed it, which was, oh, I don't have any sin anymore, I don't have any human nature, nature anymore, I don't even feel temptations to sin. I'm freed from it. I'm freed from pride as well. <laughs> Those people are actually steeped in delusion, which is another form of sin, of course. No, we are freed from sin in the sense in which God has broken the identity between us and sin by taking our human nature by substitution and proxy upon and in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross, so that I'm no longer charged with sin, I'm no longer identified as a sinner, I'm no longer looking forward to a dreadful future judgment in which I will be punished for my sins. This is a dangerous truth, in a way, because... Some people will say, well, then you can just do what you like and let it all hang out. That's not the natural or proper response to being freed from sin. To be freed from the guilt and the shame and the fear of sin and the identity of it and the judgment of it leads us to a heart of gratitude. Oh, dear God, thank you so much that you no longer charge me as a sinner. You count me as righteous in Jesus Christ. You count me as innocent and your beloved. You do not frown on me and endlessly complain, why am I not any better, what's wrong with me? You rather guide me and lead me and discipline me and teach me and help me so that I can be a more effective soldier for you, a more effective witness to you, dear Lord. This is what these wonderful verses teach. So once we've grasped them, uh, 
we needn't be afraid of affirming what they say. He who has died has been freed from sin. Well, have I died? Yes, I have, but in what sense have I died? Not that I've disciplined myself over decades so that I don't feel temptation anymore or don't experience, uh, experience failure. Not that I don't get depressed or frustrated or angry sometimes. No, I have died to sin because Christ is my Savior and substitute, and he took my human nature upon him on the cross and died and was executed for it, so that I am considered as already dead. Knowing, Paul says this uh, now in verse 9, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. Now this one throws us a bit. We'll talk more about it next time. But just to say this, why does Paul suddenly say what is happening to Christ? Because what is happening or happened to Christ is counted as happening to us, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Well, we, by faith, are accounted as having been raised from the dead. We will be literally raised from the dead at the coming of Christ. But now, counted as having been raised from the dead, we can praise God that we are no longer alive to the identity of sin. Thank you for joining me today. Colin Cook here and How It Happens. If you would like to make end-of-year donations for tax-deductible purposes, it would be so very much appreciated. Send your donations to FaithQuest P.O. Box 366, Littleton, Colorado 80160, or make your donation online at faithquestradio.com. If you want a tax-deductible receipt, Please, though, request it. I don't send them out as a general rule because most people don't need them, but I do send them out when you request them. Thank you, then. I'll see you next time. Cheerio and God bless.